You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the We Are Libertarians daily podcast. I am your host, Hody Johns. I am here with Paul. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing great, Hody. You're doing better you? than great because you and I just got, got promotions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are no longer guest hosts. We're no longer co-hosts. Paul and I are now full-fledged hosts on the We Are Libertarians Network. We got permission to call ourselves that, and yeah. I'm just going to run with that all day. <laughs> you know, I'm making a thousand times more than I was as a uh, lackey. Oh, man, I don't think we're supposed to talk wages, but, I mean, I think I got, well, like, 2,000 times more than I did before. Hey, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> One or 2,000 times nothing is still nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you blew the secret. Well, hopefully my... I was much of a secret, <laughs> considering hopefully... Chris's uh, monetary woes. <laughs> hopefully hope... our future employers only listen to the 1,000 to 2,000 times what we're making before and not that last part. They just tuned yep. out after, like, 30 seconds. Well, we're going to dive into this here. We are already planning on calling this part one. So so everybody knows. Uh, yeah. Because there's it is too big a problem. Paul and I, again, are answering your tough questions, which we love to do. This one is, is healthcare fixable? And it's just too big to do in one episode. I, I mean, Paul, you even said right off the bat, you're like, there, I'd love to dive into it, but there's no way in 30 minutes that we're going to fix all of healthcare. Yeah, uh... I mean, we can fix everything as libertarians, guaranteed 100%, but not in 30 minutes. That's, okay. <laughs> that's a little excessive, even. Oh, man. As much as we like to feel like superheroes, we'll need a full movie as opposed to just a TV show, is what you're saying. This is, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's get into this. So, <clears throat> we plan on this first part to be talking about wh- how we would fix it if we fix it within the system. So, we're going to look at the system. Uh, there's going to be a lot of numbers here. Uh, I have so many sources here. I'm probably looking at like 15 different sources. So uh, please check our show notes because I'm not going to quote all of the sources. But just know, yes, there are sources for all of these. Um, so we got a tale of two numbers. If we go to the U.S. debt clock. And a lot of people look at, say, oh, healthcare, we're going to debt over healthcare. And they look at we're spending over a trillion dollars a year on healthcare. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. And there's something at the bottom there called unfunded liability for Medicare and Medicaid. And that one's almost $28 trillion. So you say, what is that $28 trillion? Well, what that $28 trillion is, is money that we have promised to people that we owe that we have not paid back yet. So we're already $28 trillion in debt. We have to pay our doctors and our hospitals $28 $28 trillion. That's more than the entire national debt. Bigger than yeah. the whole thing. That's our national debt and then another three or four years. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you say in another three or four years, and that's why we got to get a wraps on it now. Because if you jump ahead just two years to 2020, we're still taking a loss. Uh, we're still growing. That $28 trillion is still growing, right? In... in in medical debt. We will have to pay, this year we're going to pay $1 trillion 
two years we're gonna have to pay 1.2 trillion after that we got to pay 1.4 trillion you know and it just keeps going on and on and this is still to keep going slightly into debt right so this is so we got to break even here somehow uh yeah yeah. so it starts by shaving some of the uh costs from the uh big budget items of the current system uh and you've done a wonderful job breaking it all down in the notes here uh what is your number one savings here well okay so the way i get to this number one savings here the first of all we got to talk about inflation being 2.3 percent and then we got to talk about okay if we're paying a trillion dollars a year and we owe $28 trillion. That means we're paying like 4%, less than 4% back to doctors every year. Meaning if you do a heart transplant, I will pay you back 4% of what that heart transplant costs every year until I have it paid off. Combined with the inflation rate, that means we won't be paying these things off for 50 years. Meaning if you're a doctor or hospital, any procedure you do, that goes under Medicare or Medicaid, some type of government program, will get paid off in 50 years if we're being charitable. Right. So, huge problem. Uh, this is according to Investopedia. I just took the top six. Uh, top six expenses in healthcare. Why, why is our healthcare so expensive? And so, we're going to get do in this episode is go line by line and say, okay, as libertarians, how do we fix this? Here's our break-even goal. We need to pay $1.2 trillion on it this year in order for that number, for that debt to go down, right? So we yeah. say, okay, I need to break $1.2 trillion. If I pay $1.2 trillion on it, it goes down. Now, I guess one more thing before I get into the top one. I know I'm taking a long time answer your, answering your question here. <laughs> but before I get to that first one, when... Somebody says we need to be pay, like pay less than that $1 trillion on healthcare. Unfortunately, we're in so much debt that we can't do that anymore. We actually, this is, uh, and I support reducing the size of government, right? We need to pay less on pretty much everything. But you may recall, even when Rand Paul supported the balanced budget amendment, uh, it was actually him, <laughs> if you can believe this, in talks with Bernie Sanders, where they amended it so that the the healthcare payments stayed the same. And the reason being we can downsize everything else, but can't downsize this is because it's like, if you pay less than you owe on your credit card, it's just going to grow further down the line. So unfortunately 1.2 trillion, we have to pay if we're ever going to balance the budget, or if we're going to pay off the debt, we have to pay more than the $1.2 trillion every single year. Okay. Number one, administrative costs. Mm, the number one reason our healthcare costs are so high is the administration costs running our healthcare system are astronomical. About one quarter of healthcare costs is associated with administration, which is far higher than in any other country. One example was the 1,300 billing clerks at Duke University, which only has 900 beds. Those billing specialists are needed to determine how to bill to meet the varying requirements of multiple insurers. Canada and other countries with a single-payer system don't require this level of staffing to administer health care. We... Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so this is one of those things that people uh, don't like to focus on when they're talking about the health care costs that we're incurring in America now. Uh, yes, a single-payer system would eliminate these as 
bureaucrats within the healthcare system, but they would be found jobs elsewhere. Uh, and also, this is the fastest growing cost, the cost of compliance with government regulations and with insurance company regulations. Yes, because, I mean, and the, the issue, and Paul hit it on the head, we mandate the number of people not based on needing them. We mandate they date them because we say, well, we need these jobs. Do you really want to lay these people off? Do you really want to fire these people? Well, unfortunately, paying this many people is bankrupting our system. And if you have 1,300 people to only to, to try to get you to pay or organize your payment and only 900 people to pay, that's a problem. And a lot of these rules and these mandates were established before the internet era. And so... a what happened was, is we didn't decrease that number of people when we say, oh, we can just bill them online. That only takes a couple of people. So these administration costs haven't gone down. Uh, according to Becker's, if we just get with the times, uh, we go from spending 31% of our payments on the healthcare to 15.5%, which is exactly half, which saves, uh, saves us $186 billion a year. It's not a small number. <laughs> no, uh, and that right there is basically one-sixth of the goal in and of itself. Yes. Right. So so we got a good chunk. We're right on pace. We say, okay, we're trying to break we're trying to pay one point two trillion dollars a year. There's a sixth of it. Yay. Drug costs is number two. I don't think anybody's surprised by this one, but you may might be surprised by the scope of it. Um, <clears throat> the FDA exemplifies self-empowerment influence, continually regulating the pharmaceutical industry. I can say this. Continually regulating the pharmaceutical industry so tightly that it has killed new or biosimilar medications before they reach the marketplace, solidifying monopolies on medications. This crony capitalistic practice secures more market share and influence for major industry players, preventing healthy competition in a free market. I think libertarians have covered this a lot of times, haven't we, Paul? Yeah, this is one of the areas where I think we actually do good, do good work in combating the status quo is challenging the status quo and wanting to open up the marketplace. Uh, you know, drug monopolies just do not, they're not true monopolies. The chemicals oftentimes are actually somewhat relatively easy to make. Mm -hmm. It's just the research that goes into them has to be paid back. So we've, at governmental policy level, have decided to give lifetime or term monopolies. And it just does not benefit the consumer. It's closer to contract work than really like an like a free market. Uh, it, I think anybody yeah. who has diabetes and looks at the price of insulin, if you're in, say, the UK, where they're allowed to have competing prices and negotiating prices, you've got a selection of types of insulin as well as... Um, as well as the cost. It, the cost is about the price of a stick of deodorant, first of all. Also, the amount of choices you have is about equivalent with sticks of deodorant as well. Like, it, it's like you want, like, so think about that when you look at how many sticks, types of deodorant you have, how easy they are accessed, how cheap they are. 
that's the same as insulin over there. Over here, definitely not that way. Uh, only three drug companies are allowed to make 90% of the drugs. And here's the issue. They don't have competing brands in most cases. And even in cases where they do, for example, like opioids, they're on different levels. So, for example, if a doctor prescribes you, you know, a 12.5, say, milligram per hour dispersal of of an opioid, well, there's only one company that makes the 12.5. And maybe another company will make the three, but... They don't over. The, they don't compete with each other, and unfortunately, right. by rule, their uh, FDA rule, they're not allowed to until the FDA approves it. Yeah, uh, it, the inability to compete, like, and no doctor in their practice is going to be able to prescribe you four pills of the uh, three milligram per hour dispersal. Yep, because they're going to be perceived as over uh, over prescribing it's so there aren't ways to work around it when you need highly specific medications painkillers are easier but yeah and, and what that does is that's made us three times as much as it should be according to scientific american so if we cut that off. Now, now, here's the thing. This is a tale of two numbers again. This will save us $136 billion a year towards Medicare and Medicaid, but remember that the market is way bigger than just what we're going into debt for. So, while we're specifically analyzing the problem with the debt in, in this episode, because that's what's going to sink us, let's not forget all the people that do pay for it out of pocket, that don't pay Medicaid, Medicare. Those guys are also saving... I mean, I mean, we're talking paying a third of the amount that they were, bef- were before on average. And for some cases, like in, like an epinephrine pen or insulin, I mean, you're looking at 1% or 2% of what they're paying now. Yeah. Defensive medicine. Uh, Paul, you've got an interesting story about this one. So I, I was surprised to see this at number three. You weren't. Let me tell you what it is. Let me have Paul break it down for yeah. you, though. Doctors are afraid they'll get sued, so they order multiple tests, even when they're certain what the diagnosis is already. A Gallup survey estimates, get this, $650 billion annually is attri- attributed to defensive medicine. Everyone pays the bill on this with higher insurance premiums, co-pays, out-of-pocket costs, cross the board, and, and the taxes go to pay for government health care programs. So, I mean, my solution is you need to give people to opt out, but, but give us your story. Tell us why that's so important. Yeah, so about four or so years ago now, uh, I went to a clinic here in Indianapolis with a rather routine illness. Uh, I knew because of the symptoms it was either strep throat or tonsillitis, white patches in the back of my throat are pretty much a dead giveaway and I've had it before. So I go in knowing what the diagnosis is and what I need. I need a $10 round of amoxicillin. You already know. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I could write the prescription myself, but I'm not allowed to prescribe my own medications because eh, maybe we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> but I go in and instead of just looking at my throat and yeah, you've got strep throat or amoxicillin or strep throat or tonsillitis, one of the two, the treatment's the same. 
uh, I had to undergo a swab test for oral herpes, which uh, I, I was actually rather insulted by, and that's why it stuck with me. Uh, well, is it an insult or is it a compliment, really? I mean, I mean, a virgin with, you know, oral herpes, that's hard to get, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But, uh, yeah. I'm having fun at your expense. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I love it. Thank you. Uh, but no, the... So, not only did I undergo an unnecessary test here, I didn't get a bill for that clinic visit in the mail for a year. It was a solid year later. And when I got it, the cost for the entire visit was $250. For something that I could have diagnosed myself and gotten $20 worth of medication for. And you already knew what you needed. So you could have gone to the supermarket, picked it up, left, if it were, if that were legal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, if... And I understand the uh, dangers of allowing people to unfettered access to powerful antibiotics because of the risks of super bugs, but still... It should not have been the ordeal I went through to wait for basically three hours and inflate my costs to well over ten times what it should have been. Wow. Oh, and the kicker is uh, I got a call two days later saying that they had failed that test. They didn't even make the test correctly. Oh, so so no conclusion. So. Yeah. Maybe you do have oral herpes. I mean, for well, it cleared up with <laughs> antibiotics, so I'm going to guess it wasn't a viral infection. Probably not. And and like you said, you know yourself. Like I, I mean, better than than a drug company, and probably even better than your doctor. But they they did it anyway. There's incentive to do it anyway because they yeah, they get money for I doing was floored tests. when uh, when that was proposed and it's like no that's not necessary well we're going to do it anyway oh my gosh so so to put a a number a financial number on on getting rid of stories like yours again this is according to Gallup and I can barely believe it giving giving people a choice to opt out of suing say you actually did have oral herpes but you declined the test right didn't want it you know, and, and you're going to pay the price for it. But you also agree to not sue your doctor because he wanted to take the test. This makes healthcare three times cheaper. Okay. Now, <clears throat> it's hard to quantify this number because this is based on how many people opt out and how many people opt in. Say I want to be able to sue my doctor for missing something, and I'm willing to pay three times more for a doctor that's willing to take that risk, then I'll pay three times more. But let's say just just charitably half. Let's say half of people say, no, I, I like you. I know what it is. My finger's infected because of a splinter. You know, I see the splinter. I just need some help, you know. Or even something simple like, I have a heart condition. I know what the heart condition is. This is what I need. Then this saves us if half of the people agree to not to, to, to make it three, three times cheaper. Then it saves us $325 billion towards the debt. Not counting all the other people that save money by paying it out of pocket. $325 billion, sorry, towards the debt. And, and so while your story is silly, remember that we need to amplify your story times 
I, I mean, do you think your story is unique? Or do you think there's a million people that relate to it? No, and I mean, my story is one of a small test, like a very uninvasive thing. But, you know, you start looking at things like, you know, well, that is probably just a cyst. It looks exactly like a cyst, but let's go in for a biopsy anyway. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're looking at a few grand for a exploratory test that's going to yield nothing. Right. So, so it's, it's not only relatable, it's very believable. And I think other people have had that experience. We all get back our, 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 you know, our, our bill from a hospital when we've had to go in and say, I broke my arm. Now, what is this payment for a thousand dollars here? What is this $800? What is this 500 here? You know, whatever it may be. It's like, well, we had to look for infections and we did like three tests for that. And so that leads directly into four and five most expensive parts of healthcare. And I've combined these. Uh, it's wages and work rules as well as an expensive mix of treatments. Uh, U.S. medical pra- uh, practitioners also tend to use a more expensive mix of treatments. When compared to other developed countries, for example, the U.S. does three times as many mammograms, two and a half times the number of NRI- MRIs, and does 31% more cesarean sections. This results in more being spent on technology in more locations. Another key part of the mix is more people in the U.S. are treated by specialists whose fees are higher than primary care doctors when the same types of treatments are done at primary care level in the other countries. Specialists command higher pay, which drives up the cost for everyone. Now, I'm not opposed to a specialist, but if you have a foot doctor getting recommended to you every time you stub a toe, suddenly it's like, well, why my regular doctor in his eight years of medical school can probably deal with my stub toe. Yeah. Uh, so another little anecdote, my, uh, a good friend of mine slipped on a carpeted set of stairs and ended up breaking his pinky toe. Uh, what proceeded to befall him was, would be comical if it wasn't so infuriating because they had a parade of no less than four doctors come in at various points, check out his x-rays and it would it, it was almost like they were doing a sketch to see how far they could push him. Uh, one would come in and say, oh, yeah, your toe is broken. You know, looking at it sticking out at a right angle from the others. Okay. And the next one would come in and be like, eh, I don't know. I don't think your toe is broken. And they proceeded to go back and forth until one doctor finally said, those other guys are idiots. Your toe is broken. Here's what we're going to do for you. Wow. <laughs> they wasted the time of at least three, possibly four highly trained physicians to tell him what was plainly evident. So there's an incentive to do this wrapped up in this four and five. And this is why I combine them is it's not like they do this because they're idiots. It's not like our doctors here are more idiotic. Paul, if you do treatments and you only get 4% per year on every treatment you do, and you've racked up a ridiculous amount of debt from college, how are you going to make money? You need to do a lot of 4% treatments, don't you? Yeah. So suddenly, instead of saying, well, if I do this one thing, it'll be all cleared up, the cost of it is $200 and I'll get 
you know, a, a, a what? Oh, I should have chosen an even number. Eight dollars. There you go. Back a year until the two hundred is paid off. That's no good. That's no good for me. I want. I need the two hundred dollars to stay afloat. So I'm going to take. I'm going to maximize as many people as I can, and do as expensive a test as I can. And that way, that four percent that I get back every year starts to stack up, right? And so it's not good for the consumer, and it's not good for the doctors. So I'm not blaming the doctors here, but this is their system. You know, even a competitive market would have to do the exact same thing if they had their the amount of revenue that they could make limited like this. Um, so again, let's put a number to it. If we aren't incentivized to run more tests, the cost against the debt, specifically, $210 billion. The last point is branding. Uh <clears throat> Prices are made uh, are made up depending on who the payer is. Doctors and hospitals work with drug companies to only recommend a certain brand of drug. This is not the free market because you... So, so even if there are two drugs, right? This isn't a free market because you, the consumer, you're not the one shopping and comparing. So you're not right. saying what's most affordable to me. It's the doctors and the hospital. And odds are they're not thinking of what's least expensive. In fact... They're in, they're incentivized to look at what's the most expensive option, right? Yeah, no, uh, and oftentimes, I mean, this is something that has just been corrected uh, from a legal standpoint. Is you know they were able to fly doctors out to private islands and party with them for a week, and then send them back with a note attached to them saying, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, Bayer Pharma." would like your business yeah and and you're and who's footing the cost of those flights well ultimately it comes down to the consumer and the consumer is somebody in chronic pain right yeah chronic pain or in dire need with few alternatives and you know no time to consider all the options it's like they don't have to twist your arm. It's already in a cast. <laughs> exactly. You are already busted up. They're, they're, I guess they don't have to worry about you because they're not worried that you'll go to a somewhere else. Your arm's broken. It needs to get fixed, and you have to rely on them to fix it. You know, this isn't like food where you get your choice of where you go out to eat, even though you don't yeah. have to eat. You know? You, I mean, nobody plans for... Well, very few people plan for medical emergencies, but I can tell you where I'm going to eat today. You know, right? I, you know, we we plan certain costs out ahead of time, but you just cannot prepare for a broken arm in a car accident or something like that, and you just get blindsided by these things sure and we're not going to talk about insurance on this episode but that's what it's there for and it's i feel for them because they can't see it either and if you look at their margin of cost they're usually very low in spite of what you know lavish lives you sometimes see their ceo you got to remember that there's a lot of times that's skin of your their teeth money that you're seeing them spend there's a lot of reform to be doing with insurance, and so I'm not letting them off the hook completely. They've had plenty to do with the cronyism and the buying off of politicians and the ma- and the making of rules. But when the whole situation, like you're saying, is no one can know it's coming. 
whether you're insurance or a person, it's just going to happen. And so we need to have a system in place that says when it happens, here's how we take care of it, as opposed to, ha, 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 look what happened to you. That's a shame. You're going to lose a bunch of money. Um, on branding specifically, uh, $86 billion a year. So that's our lowest one. But, you know, according to Investopedia, that was the, the lowest one. Uh as far as costs currently towards the debt. Now remember this 86 billion, that's just towards the debt. It's a lot more. Uh, <clears throat> so let's combine everything we've talked about so far. Let's do some math. We've got our top one through six. If we just address those one through six, most expensive things about the U S healthcare system, we saved $943 billion. Okay. So we needed to hit $1.2 trillion to start paying down the debt. Well, we, we're paying $1 trillion right now. So if I can save us $943 billion a year, combine that with the $1 trillion we pay this year, we pay down the debt in 36 years. That's the whole $28 trillion number. That leaves our grandchildren unencumbered by the debt. It's a huge number. It looks like a climb. But when somebody tells you, at this moment in history, if somebody tells you that the debt is unmanageable, if it was unmanageable, you'd know because our economy would collapse, countries would you know, buy, would sell out and there'd be no way. They know that we are able to fix this if we make painful decisions. At this moment in time, it is less painful to make this decision now than it will be in four years. And then in four years after that, it'll be more painful and more painful and more painful. So we need to push for this now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the same thing with paying down any other debt. The interest alone is always compounding but you know unfortunately with healthcare costs we're in the position that we keep adding more principal yeah. interest not coincidentally that's our fifth highest expenditure on in the u.s oh like, so so when you're looking at at all this just remember uh i mean that's even more than federal pensions is interest on the debt uh so I'm going to leave you with my final thought, and I'll give you a little bit of time. My final thought is this. I've given you a pretty drastic solution. Now, introducing any, like even half of these goes a long way. I, I proposed a solution which we pay it off in 36 years, working within the system that we have now, really just emulating what other countries are already doing and allowing the free market to take its course. Right, not incentivizing more expensive treatment, making people compete, you know, giving the consumers more choices. That saves us nine hundred and forty three billion dollars a year towards the debt. Probably in all Americans, it saves uh, probably three trillion dollars. So here's the problem: when you get a, a healthcare for all back uh, bill, and they tell you how awesome it is because it'll reduce costs by a hundred billions of billion dollars over the next 10 years you need to politely tell those people to shut the heck up because healthcare costs are going to increase by 200 billion dollars next year so somebody that proposes this radical single-payer healthcare for all something that gives hey it's going to reduce spending by over 100 billion dollars in the next 10 years that literally won't even work for one year even if you're accurate even if we consolidate it to 100 billion dollars in one year, it's not enough. So rem the reason the numbers are important, and I know math's a little boring to listen to, it, it is for me too, so I understand. But the math is important. 
Because when somebody tells you this, you say in your head, $100 billion sounds like a lot. But with what it takes with the debt we have ourselves in, it isn't. So don't listen to somebody unless they're talking about real, substantial monetary change to the healthcare system. All right, Paul, time is yours, baby. Yeah, no, the biggest thing that we can do is to start tackling some of these uh, big ticket items here. Uh, I plan on, in our part two that I'm planning, going over and we're going to see what, from the ground up, let's discard the current system, let's assume we pay everything off and... You know, like you pay off a bad car that's just a money dump. You decide to switch to something new. We're going to look at what something new actually would look like. Uh, And it's going to be pretty radically different, in my opinion, from what we've seen in the last century with a health insurance as the main payer system. I look forward to it. It's, I think... I am, this whole episode we worked within the current system, but this current system was not based on common sense. So if we wanted to fix this further and reimagine it, recreate, tell you what it looks like in a libertarian society, hang tight for part two. We will get you that probably sometime next week. Uh, And uh, we just look forward to talking to you guys again. Paul, anything else you got for him? Uh, No. Uh, Well, you know, with the recent signals that we're going to see a purge of libertarian media from social media please do come join us on our discord link is on the website we it's a quiet place but it's a good place to have a discussion and you can't get zucked on discord (laughs) discord is awesome uh, just so you know, that's how you guys can actually submit the show ideas. If you want to see Paul and I tackle one of your tough questions, um, that's actually where all of our tough questions have come from so far. So yep. uh, thank you so much for joining us, Paul. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, great talking to you too, Hody. See you next time.